How to Beat the Racists, a Workers' Liberty Pamphlet, The Roots of Antisemitism by Dan Katz. Antisemitism, or anti-Jewish prejudice, is an ancient form of racism. Unlike modern anti-black racism, the roots of which lie in the trade in slaves and the rise of capitalist colonialism going back perhaps 400 years, anti-Semitism dates back to conflicts inside the Roman Empire. In AD 313, the Emperor Constantine the Great gave Christianity supremacy inside the empire. The Christians used their new power to persecute their Jewish rivals. The Jews were blamed for what was for Christians the worst crime in history. The Jews killed Christ. The Christians wanted a clear line of demarcation between the Jews and those they might seduce into their faith. On this basis, the Jews were excluded from many jobs, driven into ghettos, made to wear special clothes to distinguish them from others. The Jews began to fill the jobs which others did not want. They filled particular economic roles in medieval societies. For example, the job of moneylender, considered sinful but necessary to the functioning of the economy, was allowed to Jews. The moneylender was a disgusting figure to the peasant who has borrowed in order to live and must pay back what he borrowed and a lot extra in interest. And so the Jews, forced into a particular role, reinforce the prejudice against them. That is often the lot of the oppressed. In a similar way, black slaves were denied schooling and then were blamed for their ignorance. In many countries in Europe, the Jews met terrible fates. In Germany, 146 Jewish communities were wiped out during the year 1298 after the Jews of one town were accused of a ritual murder. The Jews were expelled from various countries. England in 1290, France in 1306, and then again more completely in 1394, from Spain in 1492, Portugal in 1497, Naples in 1540, Vienna in 1690, and Bohemia in 1745. The French Revolution of the late 18th century ushered in the ideas of the rising capitalist class, democratic ideas of liberty and equality. At its high point, the French Revolution freed both the black slaves in French colonies and the Jews from the laws which discriminated against them. Jews in Western Europe emerged from the ghettos as citizens. The Jews in Eastern Europe and Russia remained downtrodden. After 1881, in Russia, a country with a massive peasantry under economic pressure from the coming of capitalism, a new wave of terrible massacres took place. Pogroms devastated 160 Jewish communities in that year. Jews were particularly vulnerable in Tsarist Russia. There were 600 laws against them. They were forced into a particular area, the Pale. A new Jewish response emerged, that of the Zionists, separatists who wanted a Jewish state for the Jewish people where they would be safe from the anti-Semites. Jewish socialists like Leon Trotsky opposed the Zionists, arguing that Jew and non-Jew should unite in the workers' movement, oppose the Russian Tsar, and fight for socialism and equality for all. The Russian Revolution of 1917 won equality under the law for the Jews. The Bolsheviks, the party of Lenin and Trotsky, fought to make formal equality a living reality. In the late 19th century, traditional Christian anti-Semitism began to be bound up with the rabid nationalism which was generated as the European powers expanded and murdered their way across the globe. Anti-Semitism filtered into the workers' and socialist movements. Jewish bankers were blamed for a crisis which was the fault of the capitalists as a whole. This was rightly described by leading socialists as, quote, the socialism of idiots, end quote. 
Of course, Jews were mostly poor, and it was the poor Jewish workers fleeing the pogroms in Eastern Europe who were the first victims of British immigration laws. The first immigration law was not directed against black people. The Aliens Act of 1905 aimed to keep Jews out of Britain. Shamefully, it was supported by some in the labour movement. Amid the crisis and chaos of post-World War I Europe, a new threat emerged. In Germany, the Nazis, led by Hitler, developed a vitriolic anti-Semitism. Nazi anti-Semitism was so contradictory and downright mad that they blamed the Jews both for Bolshevik communism and capitalism. The defeat of the European labour movements in the 1930s led directly to the victory of the fascist barbarians and the greatest crime ever committed, the genocide of six million Jews, an attempt to exterminate a whole people. After the Holocaust, the Zionists grew to become a majority amongst the Jewish people, stimulated by continuing anti-Semitism in Europe. For example, Jewish Holocaust survivors returning to Poland in 1946 to their former homes were met with further massacres. Anti-Semitism continues to this day as a powerful force in Poland. There is a powerful mutant strand of left anti-Semitism which treats Israel as a peculiarly bad state and which would deny to the Israeli Jewish people the same rights as to other such peoples, the right to a state. These pretend left politics combine traditional ideas with the quote, anti-imperialism of idiots, end quote, and a type of, quote, anti-Zionism, end quote, which originated in Stalin's USSR. There is also a noticeable strand of anti-Semitism in the black movement. For example, Louis Farrakhan has said that his organisation, the Nation of Islam, is attacked by the media because Jews, quote, control the mass media, newspapers, the radio, end quote. Believing it reasonable to use the word, quote, Zionist, end quote, to cover up anti-Semitism, Farrakhan peddles the craziest of crazy conspiracy theories, one which is also popular on the left. The theory that, quote, the Zionists, end quote, made a deal with Adolf Hitler to massacre their own people. So anti-Semitism continues as a dangerous, powerful force even amongst radicals and socialists. We must confront it and fight it wherever we find it. The, quote, socialists, end quote, who excuse the anti-Semitism of people like Farrakhan on the grounds that, quote, the racism of the oppressed is not the same as the racism of the oppressor, end quote, not only patronize black people, but also betray the anti-racist cause they want to serve. All racism, including black anti-Semitism, is poison. It must be fought and wiped out. The Roots of Racism by Jenny Bailey Modern anti-black racism has relatively recent roots in the history of slavery and colonialism. Racism did not start as a divide-and-rule trick imposed by the ruling class. The racist practice of slavery and colonialism came first. Racist ideas came later. When the slave trade started in the 16th century, the British capitalists took slaves and sold them like cattle, bullied them and beat them. Then they began thinking of them as subhuman. That is the natural way of things for slave owners. When Britain conquered territories and peoples and assumed the right to rule and make decisions for them, British people began to believe those peoples were inferior. The roots of modern racism can be traced back to the planter class of slave owners. Although fear and suspicion of the stranger and the outsider had existed before, it had not been fear on the basis of skin colour. In the ancient world, there were many societies based on slavery but there was no idea comparable to race. The ancient Egyptians looked down on the black peoples to their south, but they were just as scornful of other lighter-skinned neighbours. 
Egyptian artists caricatured the captives taken in war, but the peculiar dress of the Libyans or Hebrews was held up for ridicule as much as the features of the black southerners. In Greek society, the slaves were frequently of the same colour as their owners. There were many white slaves from the north and the east. In Rome, any citizen might become a slave and any slave a citizen. Slaves came from every province and every skin colour. So did the emperors, of whom some were black. There is nothing natural about anti-black racism in the psychological, biological makeup of whites. This can be seen today by watching the way young children of different skin colours play together quite happily. Racism was a product of the beginnings of capitalism. As Karl Marx summed it up, quote, The discovery of gold and silver in America, the extirpation, enslavement and entombment in minds of the Aboriginal population, the beginning of the conquest and the looting of the East Indies, the turning of Africa into a preserve for the commercial hunting of black skins, the treasures captured outside Europe by undisguised looting, enslavement and murder flowed back to the mother country and were turned into capital. End quote. Pre-feudal slavery was wedded to the most modern merchant capitalism in a drive which helped produce the capital for the future industrial revolutions. Tens of millions of African slaves were taken across the Atlantic. The population of Africa remained stagnant in the period 1650 to 1850, while that of Europe nearly doubled. The slaves were part of the triangular trade. Boats took slaves to the plantations, brought sugar back to Europe, and then took manufactured goods to Africa. In the beginning, there were Indian slaves and white indentured labourers too, as well as Africans. Black slaves were taken from Africa as a simple commercial decision. It was cheaper than going elsewhere. The reasons were economic, not racist. Racist ideas squared an ideological circle for the capitalists. Their anti-feudal revolutions took place under the banner of liberty, yet there was no liberty for the slaves. Paradoxically, it was because capitalism had developed the ideas of universal human rights and equality, the same ideas that would later inspire the revolts of the colonial and enslaved peoples, that it, was also, that it also developed the ideologies of racism. Previous societies had had slavery and conquest, but their rulers had no need for general theories of racial superiority to justify the slavery and conquest. The poor had no rights, whatever their skin colour and whatever their ethnic origin. There was no need for special theories to cancel the human rights of a special category of poor people. Under the pressure of economic compulsion, the economic need for slavery, writers and thinkers developed the gut reactions of the planters into fleshed out theories. Those theories are as recent as the 18th century. Black people were called subhuman, allowing the bourgeoisie to have their liberty and their slaves too. Pseudoscience said black peoples were inferior because of head shape or some other rubbish. Some of the ideas that were developed were, per were perversions of real facts. Take the racist view that black people are lazy. In fact, the slaves were not lazy, they were just rebelling. In modern capitalist society, the basic form of revolt is the workers' strike. The basic revolt form of revolt in Stalinist society, where unions were forbidden, was absenteeism and perhaps throwing a spanner into the nearest machine. The equivalent on the plantation was, I am damned if I am going to work hard. The slaves were not lazy, they were fighting back, but perversely, their struggle was turned back on them. Colonialism and the slave trade also wrecked societies and civilizations. Much of the African past was destroyed. Colonial intervention in India reduced a fabulous treasure house, the world's leading industrial nation, to backward poverty. 
Europe reduced Africa and India to poverty and then built a whole racist ideology that the peoples of Africa and Asia were naturally backward. In Ireland, the British state brutalised the people and then blamed them for their own condition. They were described as, quote, unstable, childish, violent, lazy, feckless, feminine and primitive, end quote. But it is not true that only white men made slaves. The black Iraqis on your television screen during the Gulf War were brought there by Arab slave traders. The Arab trade in African slaves started earlier and finished later than the European trade, and probably enslaved more. The history is not a simple black versus white one. In fact, the African trade depended on the cooperation of the many African chiefs who benefited from it. At the same time, there was opposition to slavery, in the name of human equality from white radicals. In Britain, for instance, during the American Civil War, the workers were solid for the Union despite their government siding with the slave-owning South and despite the unemployment caused by the Northern Blockade in the South and the consequent lack of cotton for the Lancashire mills. In the heyday of the British Empire, racism and nationalism penetrated every part of intellectual life. They had the effect of pinning the workers to the bosses in their mistaken belief that they had more in common with Queen Victoria than with the Indian poor. Frederick Engels wrote to Karl Kautsky in 1882, quote, You ask what the English workers think about colonial policy. Well, exactly the same as they think about politics in general, the same as the bourgeois think. There is no workers' party here, and you see there are only conservatives and liberal radicals, and the workers gaily share the feast of England's monopoly of the world market and the colonies, end quote. Many labour movement leaders campaigned to restrict the entry of Jews fleeing Eastern European pogroms at the end of the last century. The first modern immigration act was passed against the Jews, the Aliens Act of 1905. Immigration laws have been one of the major mechanisms of state racism over the last 40 years. After World War II, capitalism expanded and the British bosses toured Africa, the Caribbean and India looking for workers to work in British industry. As the boom slowed, the racist right mobilised. It was led by Winston Churchill, the supposedly great leader of British democracy in World War II. In 1955, Churchill proposed, quote, keep Britain white, end quote, as a Tory election slogan. The Metropolitan Police described, quote, coloured people, end quote, as, quote, work shy and content to live on national assistance and immoral earnings, end quote. Black workers found colour bars in clubs and housing. Black community organisations began life as self-help groups in response to this racism. Racist attacks became more common and in 1958 there was a riot led by organised racists in Notting Hill, West London. The Immigration Act of April 1962 began the current process of formal racism, laws which discriminate against black people. Immigration Acts of 1968 and 1971 completed the process barring almost all immigrants from Africa, the Caribbean and India except those joining close family here. In addition to legislation, there have been assaults from the right. Quote, if you want a nigger for a neighbour vote Labour, end quote, was a Tory election slogan in 1964. Margaret Thatcher said that, quote, this country might be swamped by people from a different culture, end quote, before her election victory in 1979 taking some of the political ground from under the fascist National Front, who during the 1970s organised some thousands of white British people. On the streets, the police have posed a constant threat to black people. A Policy Institute report from 1983 shows that in the Metropolitan Police, racism is, quote, expected, accepted and even fashionable, end quote. 
Racist stereotypes have moved on to target black youth as drug dealers and criminals. Take the Evening Standard's coverage of Operation Bumblebee police, quote, crackdown on crime, end quote. The Standard's reporter went with police on a raid. The young woman, quote, claimed she was 18, end quote, and her parents' wall was, quote, covered in Bob Marley posters, end quote. Got the message? More recently, and despite the past, the McPherson report denounced the police as, quote, institutionally racist, end quote. But the story of racism is also the story of struggle and resistance. In the last 40 years, the battle to confront all forms of racism has broadened out. The fight against racism must be bound up with the struggle to replace capitalism with democratic working class socialism. As Malcolm X said, quote, you can't have capitalism without racism, end quote. Unemployment. Unemployment among black people is now two percentage points higher at 13% than at the beginning of 1990, while unemployment among white people dropped back to the low point 6% reached in 1990. This trend suggests that black workers were hit harder by recession than white workers and that they did not benefit to the same degree from the subsequent upturn. Unemployment among black people since 1990 has been fairly uniform from a gender perspective with the rate increasing from 11 to 13% for both sexes. In contrast, the unemployment rate for white women in the same period fell from 6% to 5%, and this means that the gap between the unemployment rates for black and white women has widened considerably in the 1990s from 5 percentage points in 1990 to 8 percentage points in 1999. People from the Pakistani and Bangladeshi communities continue to have the highest rate of unemployment at 18%. And this increased by 1% since 1990. Women from these two ethnic groups have a very high unemployment rate, 21%, although there has been some decline since 1990 when it was 25%. The largest increases in unemployment during the decade have occurred among people from the Afro-Caribbean community. Overall, the unemployment rate for Afro-Caribbean people increased from 12% in 1990 to 15% in 1999. Source, TUC Report, 1999.